Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Bhutang tamang sangkang namasami So today I'd like to speak um, about equanimity, which you know, is a very um, important and a quality for for this you know life which we are leading in the ropes or or you know or, or outside of the ropes because there's lots of things going on you know in our lives which which you know can be upsetting to us and if we don't have the capacity to stay open with those things you know then we're never gonna learn from them and uh, I remember you know then the first time when I met my my first teacher Arjun Buddha Dasa and there's a photo of him actually on the shrine in the back the monk on the left he was my first teacher that was the quality which struck me you know about him which made it made made me kind of you know wanting to stay there and and come back there and listen to what he had to say because he kind of communicated that in his presence you know and even I didn't really know what it was but I knew you know I don't have much of this and it would be surely good to have more <laughs> and I had a feeling you know that because of the way he was living that has led him to to be like he was, and and I, I still remember and it was very eerie because he was um, sitting on he had a bench in front of his kuti where he would just sit several hours every day and one could just sit close you know opposite him and just look at him, not necessarily speak but just be quasi in his presence and and it was like it was very kind of. Unclear, you know, was this a, a, wo- a woman? Or was it a man? Was it a, a lion? Or so on. he had such a amazing presence and uh, and his, you know, his personality and his humanity and all of that was was very much like in the background. And there was this, uh, you know, this kind of strength, this mountain-like unshakability was very palpable. You know, and it was kind of uh, reflecting back that potential which I had had too, and f- and I think that's why people really like to be there, because it helped you know to get in touch with your own you know seed quality, which is is just the same. But you know we need to kind of work on ourselves in order to bring it to such a fruition as he has. And yeah, there was a very strong uh, around him. Not just being there, that was the most um, strong quality I, I picked up. And uh, it attracted me a lot because my life was very much, you know, up and down, up and down. And 
yeah, I immediately knew that's that's what I was looking for. And yeah, I'm still looking for it, but it's it's gone a little bit better. But there's still a lot to be done. But I have meanwhile, you know, I have no doubt that this this practice as all, I think, true spiritual practices, you know, re lead us in that direction because, you know, they give us different um, skillful means, you know, to be able to stay open with our experience and, and you know, go into the depths, you know, from the kind of surface into the depths. And uh, that doesn't mean, you know, that we deny the surface or don't want to have anything to do with it, but knowing that there's more to it than what meets, you know, the eye. Because we tend to get really very much carried away by the surface waves, and then we are not able to to connect deeper with uh, you know the way things are, and then we get kind of you know caught up and and uh, we, we we tend to complicate everything if we are too much on the surface because we are not we don't have that uh, you know, space around the experience which is necessary in order to be really uh, able to to learn from it and uh, to be able to respond rather than react. You know, if we are too quick because we can't stay with the feelings, we need to kind of relieve ourselves, you know, by just quickly doing something so that think that it's different than what it is, then, then we're never going to uh, be really able to respond, you know, from from a place of this unshakability of the heart, which Arjun Buddha does so much, you know, had in his in his being, and also other teachers I have met, but he was the first one, you know, um, and somehow because he was in his mid eighties, he was very strong because he had already, you know, been very cooled out, you know, not only by his practice, but also by his age. And, uh, you know, this ability to stay open with our experience, despite how it feels, is, is, sounds all quite simple, you know, but this is really one way of, of expressing what the essence of the practice is. You know, to be able to stay with it, and then to allow it to unravel itself and to change by itself because this is what it naturally does because you know we ourselves and everything else you know in this world we are not like objects or things you know which can break or anything we are processes or you know we are patterns resilient patterns you know which in that big process you know which we call universe and, you know, the resiliency of, of this pattern, which I call me, you know, can increase through being able to stay open with the vicissitudes of life, you know. And uh, it's somehow, you know, for the uninstructed person, it's somehow counterintuitive, you know. Because, for you know, it can seem, you know, that if we have the power to just, you know, push something away or pull something towards us, there's a certain control in it, but it doesn't really last, you know. A real, you know, a real kind of power to 
meat experience comes from being able to just being fully with it and then you know through that fully being with it uh, a response arises which you know comes from from the truth of interconnectedness rather than just from you know our preferences for pleasure over pain and for gain over loss and all of those different pairs of opposites which are called the eight worldly winds in, in the Buddhist teaching. They are gain and loss, um, pleasure and pain, uh, praise and blame and, and fame and dispute. So those, you know, nobody can live in the world without experiencing those four pairs of opposites. And they are so the so-called you know waves on the top of the ocean, as opposed to the the depths, you know, where all of those pairs of opposites they don't exist there. And you know nobody has ever lived without you know meeting those pairs of opposites, and nobody will ever live in this world. Even the Buddha, you know, was experiencing those. But the difference is, you know, that he wasn't reacting. He was responding, you know, when it was useful for, you know, for others and also for himself. But if it wasn't, he would just leave it, you know, because he knows it will change. And, you know, especially in our preference for pleasure over pain, you know, I'm sure you all know that from your own experience, you know, how, how, you know, how far we are prepared to go, you know, to to have our way, you know. And you know now with climate change, you know, is it is a very striking um repercussions, you know, which that can have, you know, if we only think in these terms, you know, because this is a very superficial way of of meeting life. And also, you know, the, the kind of uh, paradox that if we can really open to the pain, then the joy which we experience is also increasing, you know. They, they somehow belong together because, you know, they are arising out of the web of life, you know, of this web of interconnectedness which in which we are just like a kind of resilient pattern which you know, appears to be separate, but actually it isn't separate. And, you know, if we do train ourselves, you know, that we can stay open with our experience, for example, that we can stay with the discomfort of not getting what we want, or fear, or, you know, panic, or those different very unpleasant feelings and, and emotions, you know, if we can stay open to them, and, you know, meet where we are, then uh, it's like cleaning, you know, cleaning our, like cleaning the pipes, you know. And then, you know, when that changes again, then the joy or the, the contentment or the gratitude or all of those other different emotions we can feel, we c they also will be much more... Um, full you know because if you close up to the pain you can't just you know kind of say i'm just closing up to those feelings but not to others you can't this is all 
they're all gonna be impacted by that. So if you don't wanna have pain, you won't have joy. And I think you know, depression is is very much like a very good example. You know, if you if you don't wanna stay with the intensity of some of the strong emotions which we are consider, you know, painful, then you won't have the opposite either. So and I think. You know, as a therapist, you'd know that, isn't it? That you have to guide people, you know, to be able to stay open to their yeah, anger, whatever it is, you know. And then, you know, if you if you can't be with your madness, then you're going to be very sad. But if you can slowly, you know, kind of work through that material, then you also have more joy. And that's like, you know, that's like the... I think also the secret of, of cultivating equanimity comes through, you know, really being open to whatever happens and then through experience learning, you know, that, you know, whatever is arising is at one point ceasing again. And, you know, that's like the, you could say like what, what, the, what the essence of wisdom is in, 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 according to the Buddha's teaching is what's called the three characteristics and, and the first one, you know, the three characteristics of life and, and the first one is uh, impermanence. You know, did what we see first when we start to kind of turn our attention towards our experience, the first quality we discern is impermanence. And... Um, that's like a gateway, you know, into the Dhamma. It's sometimes called like gateway into into truth. And then, you know, from from really seeing that, for example, in the meditation, you know, paying attention to the breath, paying attention to the body breathing, brings that home very much, this impermanence. You know, we don't have to make it. We don't have to, to do the breathing. It's just life is breathing us. And this is a very simple way of connecting with impermanence and then of course you know then there's the next sign or the next characteristics becomes apparent after that is you know the instability of everything that everything is constantly changing and it's unstable we can't really kind of rely on it to be a certain way And and then the third characteristic is it's not self, which says you know that all uh, things you know which to the human sense organs you know see, we 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 see and we experience you know separate entities you know like a glass or a watch or a person, but they are only patterns. And they also change. Some of them change very quickly and we can see that some of them change very slowly and we can't see it. And that's why, you know, we have this, uh, we live in this illusion of separation. And that's just part and parcel, you know, of the human reincarnation. When you're born as a human being, you have these six sense organs and... uh, and then the world appears in a certain way, and that's somehow, you know, the uh, this is like the um, work of this uh, human life is to kind of ra- rise ab- above that, you know, to not just, you know, uh, fully 
invest ourselves into what the senses present to us. You know, this is what the senses present to us is just like you could say the waves, you know, on the top of the ocean, or, or like, like the peak of the iceberg, but there's a lot underneath which we have to cultivate, which we have to practice in order to be able to familiarize ourselves with that. And, uh, and equanimity is a very important quality, you know, in order to be able to do that, to stay mindful, to stay aware, you know, to stay with it. For that we need equanimity. And then, you know, we can go into the depths. And there's this, uh, you know, these traditional uh, symbols or images, you know, to describe this um, quality. And one is like a mountain, you know, which doesn't move. Whatever is happening, it, it just is there. And my, my first teacher, Archim Buddha he was like this mountain, was very strong. And I felt, oh, my God, I just, like so much would I like to be like this, you know, because I'm just like a you know, like a leaf in the wind in comparison. And another image is like the depths of the ocean. As I said before, there's the surface waves and underneath in the depths is complete stillness. There's no, no waves. And another one is the, you know, the sky. And the sky is always clear. Even sometimes it's completely covered over with clouds and in San Francisco we couldn't see Sometimes for three months we couldn't see the sky, but it's for sure underneath there somewhere, you know. And then clouds come through and all kinds of things come through. And once they're gone, the sky, the sky you know, is, has no, there's no taint left behind. It's just pristine and clear. So that's, you know, that's different uh, images to kind of bring that home, this... Uh, in a deep uh, knowing that whatever appears, you know, on the screen is not going to stay there forever. It's just like impermanent, unstable, and it's, it's, it's not a, a thing. It, it's a process. And then reflecting on that really can help us to, you know, to develop the stamina to stay steady and and develop this um, equanimity. And, you know, it's also, you know, quite easy, for example, to fall prey to what's called the near enemy to equanimity, which is, uh, you know, denial. And it's very dif many different um, forms of denial because it, you know, it looks quite similar, but actually, comes from withdrawing, you know, and from disconnecting to life. Because true equanimity is 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 alive. And I've just written down some of those near enemies to equanimity. There's so many of them, so we have to be really careful. <laughs> so denial is one. Complacency, resignation, Numbness, intellectual aloofness, rationalization, cynicism, 
Dogmatism, Fundamentalism, Fear of Strong Emotions, Indifference and Withdrawal. So there's all the different strategies, you know, to kind of uh, cope with our experience without opening to the feelings. And, you know, in some times that it does have a function because, you know, too much reality can send some people crazy. So I think it is, it has a function, you know, as a, as a psychological defense, which we sometimes, you know, do need when it's too much. And, and even it's, I think it's really built in, in the human system, you know, when we have what's called like a shock, you know, have an accident or something, going to shock, then we still can actually remove ourselves from the scene or help somebody else before we really kind of realize what has happened and then we maybe break down. So, you know, this denial, it's it has a function, but, you know, if we just stay there stuck, then, then that's really not... Uh, conducive you know to waking up so we have to kind of work on it bit by bit and slowly slowly kind of you know grow out of it and you know being able to include more and more of reality in in our world and and you know the buddha's buddhist practice and any other you know kind of genuine spiritual practice is exactly about that you know to kind of enable us, you know, to open our minds and to include more of the way things are. And through this, you know, including more, we go more and more into the depths of the way things are and come, come out of, of what's called like, you know, this oh, samsara, which is, you know, this is this wheel of becoming and with, you know, being driven in a way that always thinking, you know, it's somewhere else, it's not it's not really what I'm looking for, this kind of dissatisfaction I'm looking for is in the next moment, in the next experience, in the next piece of what I'm shopping or where I'm going or whom I'm meeting and not really kind of being fully where we are right now. And, you know, then we're living in flatland and we are never kind of satisfied, you know. And then we, we need more, we need to consume more, then we need to distract ourselves more, and it's, it's just a vicious cycle that's called samsara. And, and through the practice, you know, we, we step out of it, and, and we step into the depths of our experience, and there's these layers, you know, of uh, conditioning, which we have to work through in order to be able to do that and many people don't like to do that because it doesn't feel great for some time you know until we have cleared some space and you know all of those near enemies you know of uh, equanimity I've just been listing they all are you know, different methods, you know, of, of defending ourselves against feeling. And it sounds all pretty simple, but then, you know, the f process of feeling itself seems to be, 
you know, exactly the point, you know, where, where we have to really focus our practice. You know, and then according to the uh, dependent origination, that's one very beautiful teaching, you know, which the Buddha has left us, which, you know, speaks about the chain reaction and which starts with ignorance, which starts with not knowing the way things are and ends up with kind of sorrow and lamentation, grief and despair. That's how it's classically said, you know. And in order to be able to, to step out of that chain reaction, you know, we need to develop this capacity to feel. So, which means you're not, not, not reacting but responding, you know, and responding from, from the depths of what we know to be true, you know, and, and that can only, this, this kind of genuine response can only happen if we can, you know, stay long enough with the experience without prematurely kind of just trying to get rid of the feelings, you know, by saying something or eating something or doing something just to kind of, you know, relieve ourselves for a moment and then it just comes up again, you know, because we don't have to develop that that strength of heart or this unshakability really. And then we need to, you know, some some people develop very strong obsessions, addictions and all kinds of, you know, weird ways, you know, of trying to defend themselves against life. And then they probably come to you, isn't it? With very strange stories, you know. And it has all started just with a very simple, you know, once, two, two times, three times, four times, doing something, you know, and then just kind of getting hooked on it, you know. And, yeah. So it's it's quite serious, you know, really. And it all is boils down to the capacity to feel, you know, and that we can actually increase that capacity through practicing. You know, and one way how that can be done is is what in the Buddhist teaching is called the, the four Brahma Viharas or the four immeasurables. This is uh, loving kindness or metta, compassion or karuna, uh, appreciative joy or mudita and equanimity or upeka. So there's those four qualities and and uh, today I'm speaking about equanimity and, you know, a true equanimity is informed by those other three Brahma-viharas. So, by, for example, bringing uh, a loving kindness to your world, you know, to your own experience, which means you stay connected to your experience rather than cutting off. Or at least, you know, if that happens, you notice it and, and then you just bring that loving kindness towards yourself, you know, not judging yourself, but just like, you know, being with it and just kind of uh, through being with your experience, you know, a healing starts to slowly happen. So this caringness, you know, this caringness towards others, towards your own experience, you know, towards life in general, that's we call that matter, and uh, and if we turn that towards the suffering, you know, of ourselves or suffering of others, suffering of of Mother Earth right now, you know, then that would be uh, co we call that compassion or karuna. 
and uh, it's very interesting there's a, another word for it which is called anukampa which means you know to resonate with to 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 tremble with that's what what compassion is about you know to be able to uh you know not shut down when we you know when we experience suffering you know when we are in the presence of suffering and then we resonate inside that's what there is a capacity which all human beings have you know and that's this capacity for empathy is um you know, was what made us actually such a successful species, you know, that we have been uh, able to, you know, to kind of uh, organize ourselves to that degree we have been able to. It's precisely because of that capacity for, uh, for empathy. And, you know, we, we, we do not yet have enough uh, clarity, you know, to have that empathy also, for example, for the planet, because... You know, our consciousness isn't yet that developed, but, you know, in the phase we are in right now, this is exactly what we have to actually do to be able to kind of spread that empathy out much further, you know, and to realize, you know, that we are not separate from from uh, nature, that we are just simply part of nature, and we are just a natural process, and we are in constant exchange with our environment. We can't cut ourselves off. So this, this, you know, trembling with, this compassion, capacity for, for being with the suffering, that's, that also needs to be there, you know, in order for equanimity to be really genuine. And then the third one is, you know, to turn this um, capacity for caring and for staying in connection towards the happiness, you know, of others, if they, if they are successful, you know, in something, or if they uh, display any good qualities, you know, to, to kind of rejoice in that rather than, you know, disconnecting from it because we feel, like, diminished by it, you know. Because if we can't really rejoice in it, then it's much more difficult for us, actually, to develop those capacities. If we can rejoice in the goodness and in the beauty and 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 capacities of others then that's it's just like a, a very quick road you know how we can also ourselves develop those capacities and all all those three brahmaviharas they together you know inform and ripen equanimity into becoming like a true equanimity which is able to to really, you know, support us in our practice and, you know, allow us to to go into the depths and to, you know, to, to connect and be, you know, with the, the grief and the fear and all of those different strong emotions which are making us, you know, sh cut off or turn away or withdraw from experience when we think it's too much, you know, I can't, I can't handle this or I don't want to be with this. So this is a very a good way, you know, how we can increase our capacity for just staying with. And, uh, you know, there in, the, in the commentaries, there's a very good um, four images, you know, which describe those four Brahma Viharas in, in terms of a mother 
So the first one, Meta or loving kindness, is a mother with her newborn baby, you know, when she, she looks at it and is just like completely, you know, with it and and happy, you know, about what's, what's happened, so to say. And then the next one, Karuna, is like a mother with with a sick child, you know, she would like to have all of the pain if the child could just be at ease. She'd be happy to take it on. And then the next one, Mutita, a mother with a child, you know, maybe who wins some competition or, or you know, makes some beautiful piece of art or something. So that rejoicing without any trace of, of uh, jealousy or envy or anything. Just being really proud, you know, of, of, of the child. And equanimity, a mother with a, a child, a grown-up child, you know, which has to do all of her mistakes, you know, and, and the mother can't really share much of her wisdom because the child has to learn through experience. You know, and you can only kind of try to, you know, not shut down and, and, and stay open and maybe pray or something like that, you know, <laughs> because you can't really... If you if you hold your child back, it never learns. So you know these are four very good images. I think you know for understanding what is meant. You know, and and I think you know the most important uh, insight. You know, is is you know through understanding ourselves as just being part of this you know big process which we call universe. That, you know, we can't really fall out of that net, you know, because we are intricate part of it. And, uh, you know, by opening ourselves to whatever, you know, is is uh, arising and ceasing within this net, you know, in our kind of little place, you know, in our little pattern, what meets us. If we can really open to that, that's really the best way, you know, how we can heal this um you know, this illusion of separation. Only, you know, through really fully opening to that and not holding on to it. Because, you know, if we really hold on to it and defend it, then the illusion becomes a delusion. And, you know, that's more than it really has to be. Because, you know, we can't really, um, you know... Um, do anything against you know having having this having a human body with the six sense organs we you know we have to work with that because that's like just part and parcel of of the reincarnation as a human being but we don't really have to kind of fully identify ourselves with it you know there is more than that there is like you know, this human body and the sense organs and our experience, but there's something else there, you know, there's that which knows, awareness. And rather than, you know, being completely identified with the body and all of these experiences, we can we can find a backdrop to all of this, you know, which, which is... Um, not, you know, under the sway of those three characteristics I was speaking about before, impermanence, instability, and, uh, uh, you know, not-self. But it's, it's, 
it's that which kind of knows and and then you know slowly our kind of identification from the content of our experience can shift to that which within which the experience is happening and um, you know it's like a bittersweet enterprise you know because those experiences you know they are constantly changing and they are really not in our control but you know but developing the capacity to stay present by cultivating you know equanimity and and these three other brahma viharas that's within our capacity we can do that you know and we have teachings for that and it's not impossible you know to 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 develop these capacities because others have done it bef- have done that before us and i have seen some beings who have really you know cultivated it to a very big degree and uh, i think therefore it's it's really important you know to seek out those people you know if we can or at least you know uh, have a picture of them around which can remind us that we can do that as well so that's one of the you know skillful means how we can um uh, cultivate those qualities is by by kind of meeting people like that or spending time with with people like that rather than you know going shopping or <laughs> or distracting ourselves and Let me see if there's anything else I wanted to say. And then there's these four, four different... uh, ways of strengthening equanimity. First one is, is letting go of attachment, which, which is easier said than done, you know, but the, this kind of example of uh, Ajahn Chah, one of his teachings examples, which has been, you know, spoken about a lot is that, you know, taking, for example, you have this cup and you use it as if it would be already broken, you know. You know it's not going to last forever. But as long as it lasts, you can enjoy it, you can drink from it, you can do you can admire it and you can maybe give it as a gift to somebody else. There's lots of things you can do with it. But you already know, you know, one day it might break. So in this way you you meet this cup in a in a slightly different way, but it makes all all the difference. Then the next one is wise friends. I already said that. Then practicing the Brahma Viharas, I already said that as well. And then also, you know, um, cultivating mindfulness, cultivating awareness. Because if you really stay present with your experience, you can't but notice, you know, the constant changingness. And if you can stay open with it, that's what equanimity is all about. So it's this this uh, unshakability of the heart, which. you know, brings our life into balance and, you know, enables us to 
you know, to bring that balance into our own experience, but also, you know, then bring that to others. And people, you know, who have a lot of equanimity, if it's true equanimity, because then they are also, they have a lot, a lot of compassion, wisdom, and all of those good qualities, people want to be with them. And, you know, I've brought along a quote which, with which I'd like to kind of end my little talk. It's a quote on, on the faith mind from the third Zen <coughs> patriarch. I think it, you probably all have heard it already because it's, it's quite well known, but I, I, I read it out. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When attachment and aversion are both absent, the way is clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. So the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. So... I'm wondering, you know, if any of you would like to comment on what I said or or share something on this theme or clarify something. I have a question about the three characteristics of uh-huh. impermanence, instability, and what's the third one? The third one is not self. Not self. It's, uh, it's co- in, in the Pali language, it's called anatta. And not self, it's meant in the sense, you know, that it's not uh, an object or a separate entity which has a core to it. <clears throat> so, for example, you know, there's the very famous simile of the chariot. The Buddha is in the scriptures. For example, you know, if there's a chariot and then you take it apart in all of its different parts, the wheels and the axle and the upholstery and all of that. So that you lay it all out. And then afterwards, where's the chariot gone? Mm. It hasn't gone anywhere because it never really existed. You know, it was just an assembling assemblage of all of those parts, the same as our bodies, you know. And then you can, every part, you can kind of take it apart and apart and apart. And in the end, there's nothing really there, you know. It's, it's empty of a self, it doesn't exist from its own side. So, you know, the, the car or the chariot doesn't exist from its own side, but it's a designation, you know, which we give it, and it has a function, you know, in the way we live. So, for example, I'm called Santa Chita, so if somebody calls me, I look, and I know it's me, you know. But in the end, you know, when I die, and this kind of a chariot, you know, is falling apart, it all goes back to the elements, there won't be anything left, you know. There will, be, there will be the consciousness, according to the Buddha's teaching, and the consciousness, as long as it is still not freed you know, from ignorance, it will look for another body to go into it and, and make experiences and all of that. But the old, the old chariot is just going to go to dust, basically. You know? And there won't be any piece behind where somebody could say, and that was the core of Santa Chita, and let's put it somewhere, you know, because there won't be anything. Yeah, but even that, you know, is, but there's nothing, there's no essence, you know. 
and this is what what is meant with the third characteristics that's the one which is more difficult to understand whereas the other two are quite simple isn't it yeah yeah and this is why you know we're saying we are all just patterns you know patterns of light really in the end of the day like a rainbow you know you can see the rainbow but when you when you try to drive to the rainbow to touch it you'll never get there of course you know because it's just like a coming together of causes and conditions and when just one of those conditions ends you know the rainbow is gone but still it's beautiful and, and we can enjoy it you know and and you know lots of you know good things have come from rainbows and you know, like poetry and paintings and laughter and joy and everything you know but still it's not really there and and everything is actually like that you know and that's very very kind of difficult to drive that home you know because of the sense organs we have and this is the kind of this is the kind of conundrum of this reincarnation is to go into the depths you know and and we do know you know that there is actually you know, other animals living at the same time with us on the planet who actually, who, who sense organs operate differently. For example, dogs, you know, they can smell much better than us, you know, and they distinguish everything by smell, not by sight. And I think there's other animals like chameleons, you know, their eyes, they are very different. I think there's 40 different ways of eyes, you know, coexisting at this time on the planet and they all see differently. So this is already happening, you know, but we don't know much of it, you know. We, we, we only can see in this way and we are totally hooked on it, you know. Yeah. And, and the practice is, is about, you know, unhooking from that s through staying open, you know, because the, because the interconnectedness, the truth of that we are all that we all inter are, you know, as this huge universe. If we can stay open to that truth, it will take care of the process of clearing out the ignorance, you know. But it takes a time, you know. And it takes a lot of equanimity because we have to, we have to let go so much of the conditioning, you know, and that's, that's difficult, you know. It's painful. That's why nobody wants to do it. You know, and some people put themselves into a straitjacket, you know, like this, because they, they'd like to, you know, have a, a strong support system to stay with it for some reason, you know. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.